0: Uh, I want
1: to welcome all my new listeners and those coming back to join us on our weekly chats. Um, now, before I introduce my amazing guest tonight, I just want to give you a quick update, a quick explanation of what it is you've gotten yourself into if you're new to Morph Mom. Uh, my name is Kathleen Smith. I founded Morph Mom about six years ago. I've been a prosecutor for a long, long time. I stopped with my second of three kids, always assuming I'd go right back thinking, of course, they want me back. And 14 years later, they didn't want me back, and I had no idea what to do. And I'm sure many of you out there understand that terrible feeling where you've no confidence, you you really don't know what you're good at anymore, and you really don't know where you fit in, and you don't know where to begin. So after struggling for a little while with that, I decided rather than reinvent the wheel, I was going to go out and interview women around the country who had gone through this and have figured it out. What steps they took, how they did it, what worked, more importantly, what didn't work, and I really believe that's one of the more, most important lessons you can learn along the way. And once their stories were told, I would then connect them with women either looking to do exactly what they were doing, or women looking to be inspired by a variety, a library of ideas, and then coming upon one and connecting the men. So, Morf Mom began. It's a website, which is com. We have this Amazing weekly radio show with amazing guests like Tim Hag tonight as you will hear. Uh, we have conferences around the country, we have classes around the country, uh, we have a podcast. Which, if you miss any part of tonight, or if you just want to hear it again, which I know you will when you hear what Tim has to say, you can go to More Small Mom Moments. We have a podcast up on iTunes, um, and soon the um, radio shows will be live on YouTube as well. And you can go to the website for all the details. But Without further ado and enough about me, let's get to the (laughs) let's get to the reason why we're actually all here tonight. It's an honor and just a thrill to introduce my guest, Tim Hag tonight. He's the inaugural winner of the Amazing Race in Canada 2013. He's a professional speaker, he's a Parkinson's advocate, he's a TEDx speaker, and most recently he's the author of his autobiography, Perseverance, the seven skills you need to survive thrive, and accomplish more than you ever imagined. So think about that. Survive, thrive, and accomplish more than you've ever imagined. And his story is one of beating the odds, and instead, it became a guide to learn to persevere in the face of daily struggles or life-changing illnesses, all of which Tim has experienced, has fought, and has overcome. So Tim, it's an absolute honor and thrill, as I said, to have you tonight, and welcome, welcome.
2: Thank you, Kathleen. It's a real pleasure to be with you tonight. Thanks for having me on
1: Morph Mom. It's just, I think your story is so universal that it, everybody should hear this. Every generation, every jet gen, I mean, you name it, everybody needs to hear this story. And most importantly, and, and as I mentioned before, I always think too, it's the difficult things that people need to hear. You know, everybody hears all the great things. I'm great. Everything's great. Even in Morph Mom, when I went out and I asked people, please tell me what you overcame, what was the hardest part... And many times, it's easier to connect with someone going through something similar or going, you know, dealing with a challenge that they have to deal with, rather than hearing that everything is rosy, if everything is perfect. That's and right. I just right. think your honesty about your journey is just so important and so necessary for all of us. So, and now I'm just teasing the audience, tell us about your journey and, and how you came to where you are today.
2: Oh, my. Well, that's a long story. I'm 53 years old, so it's a lot of years, but we'll start <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> it's a good story that starts right back at the beginning. I was born in 1964, and I'm not going to take it year by year, okay, folks? So don't worry. <laughs> I was born in 1964 to a 20-year-old white girl who found herself pregnant by an older, married, 30-something-year-old black man with children in Iowa. off the farm. Now, if you can just picture that for a minute, get that picture in your head. Now, remember 1964. Remember how much segregation was still alive and well. Remember how much uh, America was still split by race problems. All the things that were going on in the 60s and 70s. And she finds herself in a little community in Iowa pregnant by an older married black man. She was ultimately shipped off to Texas have her baby and give it up for adoption, me. And Kathleen, no one, virtually no one, knew what she had gone through. Uh, very few members of the family knew that she was pregnant. Very few knew that she, why she had been gone for a number of months. Nobody ever knew that she would given birth. Don't, nobody knew that I existed. So if you can imagine the type, the type of courage, the strength, perseverance that that young lady would have had to have walk that road alone, and to give me a shot at life, there in and of itself is a story that deserves to be told about perseverance.
1: It's amazing. And, and that's I, how I can. I'm jumping in a little. How did you, when you were given a production, how did you find the backstory? Was that research you did later on?
2: It was research I did later on. I've known my birth mother now for 20-plus years.
1: Oh, you have?
2: for a long, long time. And it's Amazing. A great story. That, that part is wonderful. Um, she is as much grandma to my kids as my parents are and my wife's parents, and so we've had a wonderful relationship. Wow. But just learning everything that she went through as, um, you know, kind of to a degree, I, I say perseverance is sort of bread in the bone um, because she set the example early on in my life that uh, she fought for yeah. me to not only give birth to me, but... The home that I was placed in at one point made a decision that they weren't even going to try to adopt me because who wants a biracial baby? I mean, you have to remember, it was a very black and white world in in the U.S. in the 1960s and 70s. And there was not a lineup of people standing out the door waiting to take home this little biracial baby boy. Do you and remember? Wasn't until my parents, sorry.
1: I'm sorry, do you remember that time when we adopted, like, do you remember any of that?
2: I'm a bit of a student of history. I like reading history. I'm, I've always been very interested in American history. Um, so I, I probably don't remember it as much as I do uh, having just read and studied it a fair bit. But, I mean, even growing up, I graduated high school in 1983, and growing up, uh, we never fit in. Yeah. We were always too white for the black man's daughter, too black for the white man's daughter. The wrong right. shade of Latino for the Latino man's daughter, right? We uh, just didn't right. have, have a right. place to fit. But where we did sit, and when I say we, it's my family, because my parents uh, found me and literally we bumped into each other because I was taken from church to church after I was born and put on display and offered any willing takers. They were that's how, that's it, how they did it. Was trying to find a family. Yep, that's how they did it. And uh oh my God. it was Pretty, pretty rock solid. <laughs> my parents wow. were in one of the churches one evening, and uh, Mom saw this little baby, and she, she fell in love with the idea. And so they not only went on to adopt me, but they went on to adopt five more just like me. And that was until oh they had three of their own kids. <laughs> oh so we're talking God. nine kids, Kathleen. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. So
2: not, not only is it a, a, a testament of perseverance in raising nine kids, but when six of them are biracial in the 60s, 70s, and 80s in, yeah. uh, in Kansas City, we grew up in Kansas City, and my goodness, it, uh, there's a whole depth of story there that deserves to be told, and all of my parents deserve to be honored for uh, yeah. what they did on my behalf. Wow. So that was where it began. We, if you want to jump ahead quite a few years, life was pretty normal. You know, we were as normal as any kid's family was, I suppose, at the time. And I ended up going to school, and I met a Canadian in school. We sat beside each other the first day of, of school, and um, it, it will be 33 years this summer that we have been married. Sorry, about oh, congratulations. 36 years that. Yeah, that's crazy, hey? Eh? <laughs> and so we ultimately moved to Canada. And um, made a life here in Canada. I, I always thought, you know, I was moving to Canada and be here for a couple of years, you know, one or two or three years. We needed a little bit of break from Kansas and we'd eventually go back. Wow. Well, <laughs> let's this fall will be 29 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not happening.
2: They not going back to Kansas? Not happening. No, not happening. Got the grandbaby here now and everything, so we're We're staying. We're but uh, in moving to Canada, life was fine. It was great. It's a little chilly here, but you you know you adjust. And um, it was until August of 2010. I was reading the newspaper one Saturday morning, and uh, I noticed something brand new happening. My left big toe was twitching, and my my birth father had died with Parkinson's disease. I have a half sister with MS. So it didn't take me long to deduce that it was likely one of those two things. But uh, in time, I was uh, diagnosed in February 2011. I was formally diagnosed with non onset Parkinson's disease at the age of 46. And that had led to a number of things. Uh, I had a nice flourishing career as a nurse. I uh, nursed for 21 years. I'm no longer a nurse because my Parkinson's has progressed to the point where I can't. It uh, Parkinson's has lots of nasty little side effects that come with it, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the bad things of Parkinson's. But the symptom that I like to talk about most is the one that got me on the Amazing Race Canada. And my good wife always said, if it, she was an absolute fanatic, Kathleen of the, the U.S. show, that she'd watch the Amazing Race, and she always said, if it comes to Canada, we're applying. And I always said, what any good husband would say, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs>
1: Wait, can can I back up for a second? So, what year yeah. were you? What year were you diagnosed with Parkinson's? And you were forty six. Two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Okay, so it had not come yet. This was your wife no. at the time. She was saying to you, and you said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, we'll do it if it comes." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's
2: exactly right. So it finally comes around, and um, we get into this discussion of who's going to apply and whatnot. And she finally decides that me and my son need to apply. And she says, I guarantee you you're gonna get an interview. I'm like, what do you mean you guarantee me you're gonna we will get an interview? She says, They're gonna love you Parkinson's. She says they've done all kinds of interesting backstories. Cancer and prosthetics and all kinds of stuff, but they've never done Parkinson's. And she said, You're gonna get an interview. Well oh. as most wives know, you're right most of the time.
1: <laughs> Wait, can you say that again? <laughs>
2: No, <laughs> <Once> it <is> wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair
1: enough. <laughs> yeah,
2: we, uh, we got the interview, we got on the show, and despite my Parkinson's, which gave us no end of grief, we managed to turn around and win the thing, and um, that, has, that was absolutely incredible, just a fabulous experience with my oldest son, and then out of, out of the race stemmed the speaking career phone started ringing and I have literally had the opportunity to travel around the world speaking about Parkinson's and perseverance and how to live your best.
1: Well, I mean, your
2: story is
1: amazing just from that alone. Can I go back a little bit to to when they say to you, okay, yes, you're in. You're a team for the amazing race, the inaugural Amazing Race Canada. At that time, um, And I'm not as familiar with the symptoms. I mean, I know some of the symptoms, but you were two years in to the disease. What symptoms were you struggling with most, I guess, and were you most concerned about, if if at all, joining the amazing race?
2: Yeah. And the biggest ones that concerned me at the time was, number one, fatigue. Um, Mm -hmm. Fatigue has always been a problem for me right from the get-go. I just get super tired. Okay. So that was a concern. And then um, just, uh, I, I walk fine. I, I even run a little bit still. So I'm not, I don't daily have concerns about falling. But when you get tired and you start to drag your left foot, which I already was at that time, it became a problem trying to move quickly downstairs or run downstairs or down a hill. Because if you drag your foot running downhill, you yeah. And that, that became a real issue as the race progressed. And those were really the only things that really bothered me a lot then. I, You know, life is a wonderful teacher, right? I thought I was so bad then. And now, five years later, it's like, huh, I wish I could be there again.
1: <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, they, like, as I said, having you on this show is so necessary for everyone to hear this. and. There seems like, you know, people say there's a reason things happen. I think, Tim, clearly there's a reason you are the one, because you can persevere, and you're the one to teach us all how to persevere through these symptoms. And clearly just the message you gave going into Amazing Race with what you were suffering at the time is more than most people could handle. And now add years onto this and what you're doing. And so can, can I ask you a question? When... so. You were struggling, as you said, with the fatigue and the stress of possibly falling. If you're like, when you won, what was it like that? Day? when they tell you, you've now won amazing race. Struggling through this illness and with your son, what was that like?
2: Well, oh, I think I say it in the, in the book kind of like it was a dumbfounded, surreal, we did it. I mean, we yeah. really couldn't believe that we had won because if you watch our race, we we sucked pretty bad.
1: <laughs> I do. I mean, we
2: we were behind all the time, Kathleen. We we nobody expected anything of the tents. Like we bumbled along. My Parkinsons would get in the way. We would get lost. We couldn't read a map. It just did not look good for the tents. <laughs> but what made the difference was again my wife. She told us before we ever left. She, she literally set me down probably half a dozen times. And she would say to me, Tim, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. There are going to be things that you're going to have to remember, be able to redo, recreate something at the end of this race. And I'm not kidding you. She was an absolute fanatic about this race. She said, there's going to be clues along the way, and you're going to have to pay attention and find them. Oh. And literally, the first clue of the day... There was a flag on it, a British Columbia flag. Okay, Evelyn. when I saw that flag, I swear to God, I heard voices. And that voice said, attention. And every day we saw a flag and a flower. And when we finally made it to the last challenge of the race, there was only one team that could perform that challenge because there was only one team that had seen the flags and the flowers and who had paid attention and who could do that task.
1: Okay, right there alone, that is a lesson to every single person out there. Everybody. It's, you know, whatever you want. Absolutely. It's
2: a powerful lesson.
1: (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think, do I pay attention? No. Just that lesson alone in life. Oh, my God. I think Tim clearly That's one of the seven skills in
2: the book. That is one of the seven skills in the book, and uh, that's why I put it there, because it was. It was so important. It was so powerful that, that we, we pay attention to the little things along the way, the things that so often we just overlook. You know, I'll, I'll never forget one of the other teams saying, you know what, we saw him. We saw them. But, but did we notice them? Did we take note? Did we remember? No. So it made all the difference for us to pay attention. Wow.
1: Unbelievable. How long was the race? Like, when How long is the actual time before you enter and it went until you
2: won? Oh, well, we started tape. We knew late February of 2013 that we were going to be on the race. We taped the race all, all May of 2013. Oh, wow. So right from the beginning of, of March, if you will, right through the final episode, which didn't air until September, huh. we were keeping a secret. Wow. And the secrets were the, the secrets were the only part of the race I didn't enjoy, um, <laughs> because there was always a secret to keep. And we have four kids at home, right? Try keeping right. four kids off, off the internet and social media when you've got a big secret like that to keep. It was tough, but I, but that was the only hardship. Everything else right. was absolute bliss. Oh,
1: it's so amazing! Literally, secretly the enemy. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you get for the race. And what's also just amazing is that you did this with your son. I mean, how many people get to enjoy something like that with their child and learn these life lessons at the same time? Um, what happened there?
2: Well, it was uh, the race had just ended. And uh, I get a call from um, Parkinson's Canada, Parkinson's group here in Canada. And uh, they said, you know what, the World Parkinson's Congress is being held in Montreal. I have no idea what that was. They said 3,000 people who are involved with Parkinson's disease in one way or another, researchers, doctors, people with Parkinson's, their, their care partners, on and on and on, are going to be here in Montreal. We would like you to be a guest speaker, a surprise guest speaker. I'm going to give you five minutes, to fly in, put you up, do your five minutes, tell you a little bit of story of the Amazing Race, and we'll have a great time together. Sure. Sounds <laughs> fabulous. So I fly off to Montreal, do my little thing. And out of that, Kathleen, my world was left. Out of that five minutes, I have spoken so many times in so many places, uh, literally all across North America, as far away as Madrid, Spain. Wow. It has been a wonderful, wonderful ride. And all getting to encourage people to live their best in spite of the difficulties that that life throws their way.
1: I think just the lesson alone of you saying, sure, like to this huge proposal that you probably weren't expecting or hadn't maybe ever thought you'd be doing. Oh, I wasn't
2: prepared for that at all. I had no clue what I was getting myself into. I mean, I had to take time off work. They asked me, they said, what's your fee? I'm like, fee? You'll pay me? It's five (laughs) minutes. (laughs) So I basically sat down and I calculated how many days I was going to have to be away from work. And I said, okay, well, this is what it's going to cost me to be away from work. That's my fee." <laughs> That's
1: a pretty smart and way to do it. And it went from there. Wow. Uh, you got to
2: pay a mortgage somehow, right?
1: <laughs> Wait, can you teach me how to do all that? <laughs> but uh, it's just even that lesson. So every step, it seems, to so, so far, the listeners out there who may be just joining us, I'm here with Tim Haig. Um, And I'll go through this quickly again, the inaugural winner of The Amazing Race in Canada 2013, who became from that professional speaker, Parkinson's advocate, TEDx speaker, and author of his most recent autobiography, Perseverance, The Seven Skills You Need to Survive, Thrive, and Accomplish, More Than You Ever Imagined. And so far, we're up to an intense like already at this very young age. Notice I say young, Tim, because we're in the same boat. (laughs) at a very, very young age, has mm-hmm. already done and accomplished so much. And we're only halfway there. But everything in Tim's life so far has been, yes, sure, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I accept the challenge, and I'll do it. So right there, Tim, at a starting gate, and as you already acknowledged, your birth mother, your adoptive mother, have given you almost that innate ability to say, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to say no. I'm going to take I the challenge. I think you're right. I accept it. I accept your challenge, I run up you because <laughs> I'm going to try it. So this is just every step along the way is just amazing. So now you're speaking, and you're traveling the country, and now you're, you know, a Parkinson's advocate. How are you feeling during all of this? Is, is the illness in any way impeding this, or is it sort of motivating you to keep doing it? All
2: uh. right. Uh, I don't know if I've ever been asked if Parkinson's motivates me. Um, I don't I don't think Parkinson's motivates me so much. As, as, well, maybe that's not the right way to say it. Well,
1: maybe not. not I not see if, Parkinson's no, but
2: in others. Message yeah. I see Parkinson's in others. And the needs that I see in others is what motivates me. Because, uh, you know, I was talking to a young mom just two days ago, 43 years old, uh, Early childhood educator, working Mm -hmm. on finishing her degree. She's almost done in February. Her Parkinson's is really bad. It's really tough. It is really, really hard. And I look at her life, I look at mine, and I'm reminded again of how blessed I am. Mm -hmm. How fortunate that I am that even though I have this disease, my disease hasn't progressed nearly as far as hers has And I'm 10 years older than her. That's what motivates me to to encourage people to try to give them hope, shine that light in the dark places and find the resources, the strength to live our best. Because we, we can live our best no matter what our circumstance is. Our Parkinson's, does it, does it slow me down some days? Absolutely. I hate having Parkinson's. I can't do nearly what I feel like I should be able to do. Right. But I can I can still do a lot, and I stay motivated to push back against the dog thing and not let it take everything, not let it have all of my day, not let it have the things that I can do. Because there is lots I can do, so the only way it's going to get it is if I give it to it. And Parkinson's not going to get any freebies from me. It's not going to get my life on by default. It's going to have to rip it out of my hands. So that's what keeps me motivated. Others and the simple fact that I I simply don't want to lay down and roll over. Right. I want to live my life. Well, and I would
1: think the challenges, when you just said the can do, I mean, and the challenge that you face are just, and many people face, are extreme, but the fact that you can get up and say, I can do this and I'm going to do those things I can do, is so motivating for everybody out there. Because there are many who might say, "I, I, I can, but I just, you know, I can do it I just don't have the motivation to do it so that's what I think your gift is to so many people is you can do it so do it and i'm showing you i'm Absolutely.
2: doing it well, i think the it thing that i come message. away with in the book is perseverance is something that can be learned it's something that you can get your hands around that you can sink your teeth into if you will it's these seven skills are they're positive they're practical they're steps that can when we reach that place that we're at our wits end and we're not sure what else to do, and everybody keeps saying to us, well, girl, just don't give up. Yeah. I just hang in there. Well, I've always wondered, Kathleen, what the hell are you supposed to do when you just don't give up? Right. That's always been a huge blank for me. Just don't give up. Well, I'm hanging here by my fingernails. Right, right. So just don't give up. What does that mean? Well, I have found... (laughs) (laughs) I have found at least seven skills that keep me focused that give me the next step that remind me of some things that I've known that put me back on the path of staying on the path of completing what I want to complete because it can be done it's hard does Parkinson's limit me? yeah, without a doubt there are some things I simply cannot do anymore There are some things I cannot do as well as I wish I could, but that doesn't mean I stop. There are some things that I wish I had that I don't have, but whatever. And one of the skills that that I like to focus on sometimes is let go of the happiness myth. I think especially we in North America sometimes don't believe or have this belief that bad things should never happen to me. But I'm a good guy. I've been a good dad. I've been a good yeah. husband. I've been a good provider. And bad things should never happen to me. And that's just—it's just wrong. I, at least in my life, the sun—I see the sun shining and rain falling in everyone's lives. Yeah. And when bad things come, it's my opportunity to find out who I'm supposed to be in that moment what I'm supposed to learn in that moment. And then look beyond myself. Who else can I help who's also in that same boat? And how can I make their moment in life better?
1: So not not succumbing to the bad thing, the obstacle they're experiencing. Take it head on and overcome yeah. as much as you can, as yeah. best you can.
2: Well go back and watch our race. The, our amazing race is a perfect example of this. And I'm not kidding when I said we sucked. (laughs) We left no doubt in anyone's mind that we were going to go out. We were going to get kicked off the show the very next leg. Every leg. Every single leg. The Tims were going home the next time. These guys were never going to do anything good. But we had made a decision that we were just going to get up every day and do our best. And our best never looked that good. At our best, even as ugly as it was, was good enough to win a championship. That championship encompassed two 2014 Chevrolet Corvettes. Wow. Twenty <laughs> tickets. Twenty tickets on Air Canada, anywhere in the world that that airline flies, and a quarter million dollars. Wow. No. Most people aren't going to get on a reality television show and they're not going to take home a bunch of prizes and cash. I want to encourage our listeners to change the mindset. How much is your kid worth? How much is your partner worth? How much is your job worth? How much is your life worth? To stay in your race, no matter how ugly it may be, no matter how hard it might be, no matter how many people come up and say, eh, you're a lot like the Thames. You kind of suck. You're never going to accomplish anything. <laughs> and I, I call BS. I say, stay in your race. Do your thing. Get up every day and do your best. And you will be amazed at where it takes you.
1: the best analogy I've ever heard in my entire life. Everyone's in a race, right? Technically, every life is a race to whatever we are trying to achieve, it becomes a race in some sort. And, Tim, I just want to quickly introduce my co-host, Lisa Berkeley, who's also another Morphan, who's been sitting here and has a question Hello. for you as well.
0: Hi, Tim. Sure. Is Hello, Lisa?
1: Lisa.
0: Hi. You know, I'm listening to Hi. you, and I'm just thinking, I'm putting it in perspective. My dad is dealing with chronic pain, and and I find I I talk to him a lot about, about he he he's still in a loop where all he's doing is is i know but i think chronic pain is is the same yeah but but i think chronic pain and parkinson's is just a a kind of a disease or something where where you're you're limited and he just kind of goes around in circles and i almost feel like i'm listening to you it's like you've accepted you have parkinson's you accepted your limitations like you're it sounds like you've said, okay, I have this. Now let's put that to the, on the shelf and let's go beyond that and see what I can do. And I'm trying to get him to that point of maybe accepting, well, this is going the way it is. Now let's live in the present and, and enjoy what you can. And then do you have any advice of how somebody can achieve that?
2: Yes, I, I like almost everything you said, almost you're right. I have come to the point where I accept the fact that I have Parkinson's. It still ticks me off. Every other day, I still get mad. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, of
2: course. I I never wake up and say, boy, am I happy I have Parkinson's. Right. But I can never set it on the shelf. It never leaves. Mm -hmm. It never leaves. Let me emphasize it. It never leaves. When I go to sleep at night, It's one of the last things I think about. Mm -hmm. When I wake up in the morning, almost every single morning, the first thing that happens is my left leg starts shaking. Mm -hmm. We fortunately don't shake overnight, and I fortunately am, am very fortunate with my Parkinson's that it lets me sleep. But the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I start shaking. It never, ever leaves. So what I've come to a place of contentment with is that that reality... Is going to be with me until I die. If I hold that reality every single day, and if you can imagine, just you got it on your shoulder, you put it in your hand, and it's me and my new best friend, whom I hate, and we're (laughs) going to walk through this world together. (laughs) So I've got to deal with it. Your dad's going to deal with this chronic pain, and our diseases are very different. There's different things that we have to do. I finally came to terms with taking meds, I fought for three years to not take any medication, did not want to go on drugs. I'm a nurse, I'm not an interventionist. I did not want to go on drugs. I did not want to deal with side effects. I did not want to do this. No, I finally had to accept the fact that I needed drugs. If I was gonna keep my life together at all, I needed certain medications to help me do that. So I've accepted it. And I try to live as contentedly with it as I can every day. But contentedness does not mean happy. Yeah.
0: Right,
1: right intent, yeah. means, right.
2: intent means this is where I'm at. This is what it is. I'm going to deal with it. Right. And then every day I get up and I do my best to live my best, whatever that best looks like for that given day. I I, that you know, I have a question. So, um, after going through the amazing race and the
1: speaking. You decided to write this autobiography. And as Lisa was just asking about, per, again, another example of perseverance. How do you persevere? And again, for those listening, I'm speaking with Tim Haig, the author of his autobiography, Perseverance, the seven skills you need to survive, thrive, and accomplish more than you ever imagined. And similar to what Lisa just asked you, like how, how do you survive and then thrive and then accomplish? What motivated you to write this autobiography, and tell us a little bit about the book, now that we've started talking about this, like, how do you survive, thrive, and accomplish?
2: Well, a couple of questions in there. How how do I survive? My community, another one of my seven skills. My wife is a huge part of my survival. I mean that in every way, in every way. She makes it possible for me to go and speak. She makes it possible for me to do the things that I do in our charity. We have a partnership that we have been able to figure out what our strengths and weaknesses are, and we work together. My kids are a huge part of my community. My support group, my Parkinson's support group, I've got all of these people who I've deliberately surrounded myself with who feed into my life, allow me to feed into theirs, and give me the strength to do what I need to do. And the days that I don't have strength to do what I need to do, they let me sleep. (laughs) Yeah. And we go on. And so how do you write a book? Well, I'm a pretty motivated guy anyway. But again, it comes back to wanting to share the stories that I feel I've been blessed with, with a wider community. Once I started speaking and started telling some of these stories, it really started resonating with people. And as you've suggested, a wide cross section of people, right from the schoolroom to the boardroom, Parkinson's groups, people seem to really take something from the story. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you could put this on, on, and do something with it? And mm-hmm. so that's what kind of motivated me to get started with it.
1: You know, it's and funny when you're you saying... You, I'm sorry I to interrupt, but you're saying community has been such an important part, and. You know, it's so interesting to see you, you've had, even though you, your mother has, your birth mother had struggles and your adopted mother had struggles, like you've had that sense of community. They taught you to persevere and that sense of love and community and fight through it. And you've carried that through. So for those listening tonight that may not have the supportive family right with them, I think what you've done, Tim, is to create a community that's accessible to people now. That can be supporting. They, they right. can find that community in what you've built for the support and the inspiration and the commonality that you can find.
2: Right. That's absolutely correct. Because we, I've always said, you know that that Lone Ranger, that that cowboy, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right off into the sunset on your own, kind of kind of gig. That always seems so freaking lonely to me. Yeah. I never could understand who would want to be that lone cowboy out on the range all by themselves. And I know with Parkinson's, there is no way this is a lone cowboy disease. Mm-hmm. I, I need my people.
1: I mean, thank God that there's, like and many have recognized this, but that you have recognized that, and that now you've opened the door for other people to join in, to to accept that they don't have to be the Lone Ranger. Many times, maybe people feel, not even just with Parkinson's, but again, like we said, whatever struggle they're going through, you have to do it yourself. But I think with you opening your heart and sort of sharing this, it makes people understand, like, it's okay to not be the Lone Ranger, to need that community, and now you provide that community for them.
2: Absolutely. Again, in a good analogy from the race we were in, um, I forget which leg it was, but we were in a at Nunavut, way up in northern Canada, way up in northern Canada. Crazy cold. And uh, we were climbing a mountain, a snow covered mountain one day, and I was absolutely exhausted. And I probably would have got to the top of that hill at one point, at some point, but I probably would have never gotten there in second place like we did that day. Um,. The way I managed it was I finally stopped, and I told Tim Jr., I need a hand. And I asked him, I said, I'm, you're going to have to help me. And trust me, I did not want to ask my boy to help me right. climb this hill. Right. <laughs> and he, said, he just said, Dad, grab onto the back of my coat. And I grabbed the back of his coat, and he literally pulled my 48-year-old butt up a mountainside. And you think, okay, how big a deal is that? Well, we wouldn't have come in second place that day. And more importantly, I wouldn't have learned a lesson. But I am not so, I was feeling a little too big for my own butchers kind of thing, right? He's my kid. We're family. He's there. He was the perfect help that I needed in that moment. And I would have probably cost us both in the race had I not asked for help. So how many times in life do we need help? And we are just too proud, too stubborn, too whatever to not ask. And sometimes we just need to ask.
1: When, when you decided to sit down and write your autobiography and you, you said you had seven skills, how did you, I guess, decide which seven skills were the most important? Because even now what you're saying, like, you know, asking for help and there's just so many things that go into your story or into everybody's story. But how did you decide which seven you would focus on for the book?
2: Well, I'll I'll, I'll give you a little insider author secret here. (laughs) I didn't put the seven skills together until very late in my manuscript. (laughs) I was writing my story I'm writing my book. I'm putting it together. And as we went, I discovered these seven. I lifted it up off the page to us. And I'm like, this is really cool. Because I'm just telling my story. I'm walking through things. And as you're working and editing and massaging and, you know, putting chapters together and bringing your book together, we started to see these, these seven ideas gelling and coming together. And they, it was actually very organic how it all happened. I, I didn't go into the book with a list of, well, here's 15 things we might miss, which is our top seven. It went quite opposite of that. It became very much organically as I worked my way through my story. Oh, that's so interesting.
1: I don't tell anybody that, okay? <laughs> Promise. <laughs> Only you, Lisa, and I have heard it. Don't worry. It's <laughs> so interesting that that's how it came to be. Um, But I guess you're right, the most organic way to sort of see, I guess, as you went along the race, you were paying attention, (laughs) the race of writing your book, paid attention and kind of saw what stuck out along the way. Um,
2: That's that's a very good
1: way of putting it. One you talk about the nature of luck, and I'm just curious to hear, talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure. You have to understand it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, because... uh, the analogy I like to use to start this conversation off is the rock star, that band, that musician, who suddenly splashes onto the scene. He's all over the place. They're making tons of money. Everybody loves them. And somebody comes along and says, man, aren't they lucky? They just came out of nowhere. And then you do a little research, and you find out that they've been slaving away in obscurity for the last 20, 30 years. Right. Doing their thing, perfecting their art, and all of a sudden, one day, somebody says, boy, then they get lucky. I had a boss that used to tell me all the time, 80% of success is just showing up to work. Sometimes I think just staying on our path, just staying on the journey, just staying where we know we're supposed to be and slugging it out. Gets us where we need to be. <laughs> Again, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. But all of a sudden, one day, somebody walks up and says, boy, Tim, have you ever been lucky? Well, maybe I have been lucky. Maybe there's a dose of luck in there. But I also know that on many days, I choose to stay in my race. I get up and I choose. Pick up my Parkinson's, hold its hand, and walk through my day with it, regardless. And keep moving forward. And the harder I work and the longer I stay on my journey, the luckier I seem to get. Yeah.
1: It's funny. So what is luck? Like, what is the definition of luck then when you look at it that way?
2: Yeah.
1: Perseverance.
2: I mean, sometimes there's luck in life. You you look at the amazing race. We hit both non-elimination legs. A non-elimination leg is when you come in last on any given day and you should be kicked off. They generally build a couple of random days in. Whoever hits that day stays on the race. Virtually nobody hits both. And virtually nobody hits both and goes on to win the race. So there was some luck. But we also persevered. We stayed our course. We got up every day. We had the strength to do our best the courage to be content with what our best produced that day, and we maintain the will to persevere. We've kept walking
1: forward. You know, I I think, like we were saying, or we mentioned earlier that, you know, people say, why me? Why me? Why did this happen sometimes? And again, I believe this sincerely, that there is a reason, always. And many times that reason is, is because that person... Could handle that challenge and that person had lessons to share through that challenge. And just what you just said right there, again, every, I mean, any obstacle you're going through, right? Just keep going. You got to keep going. And it's so much easier said than done. And there's some people who just can't and they're trying their best and they just can't. But sure. to know that there's somebody out there leading the way at least provides the inspiration and motivation to those who can. So that there's got the- to be something.
2: I think it's important to our listeners know that I would never intentionally minimize what anyone's going through. I'm when I share these things, I share them from my perspective in my journey, and and so each of these things has to be taken and layered into the individual journey because they're always going to look different. They're always going to feel different. But I think that nonetheless there are some universal truths in there that can yeah. help us if, if we'll if we we'll tackle it. Definitely.
1: I mean just your analogy I and mean, your as we said, your little your literal amazing race challenge and win, but also your figurative. You know, the race that we all go through every single day. And is it you know, is it the sprint or the marathon, people always say. <laughs> Yours is clearly then <laughs> a marathon, but that everybody needs to keep watching, because we're learning from it. And and one of the other skills you talked about was accepting limits, accepting limitations. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that one, too. Sure. Um,
2: When I was first diagnosed with Parkinson's, I was pretty classic. I would write blogs, and I would speak, and I would say things like, Parkinson's is never going to define me. It's not going to set limits on my life. I will tell this disease how life is going to be run. And then I grew up into my disease. And today, seven years on, it's put limits on my life. It, uh, my life looks different today than it did seven years ago. It feels different today than it did in the beginning. And um, Parkinson's has impacted my world. And so then I, I have the opportunity to choose again. Am I going to choose to walk contentedly through this reality? Or am I going to choose to walk through this reality bitter, hard, angry, feeling hard done by? Because I do have that choice to make. And for me, when I look at my life right from birth, What my birth mom did for me, what my parents did for me, the career I've had as a nurse, the economic opportunities I've been given, the wonderful children that I have, the fabulous wife that I have, all that I've been given, it can only come to one conclusion, and that is that life has been fundamentally unfair. Because I have been given far more than most people on this planet have. When you look at my life compared to the vast majority of people around the globe out of the 7 billion that are here, my life looks way better than most, even with Parkinson's. So how how can I be bitter? How can I be angry? How can I choose to be anything but grateful? Because the scales are vastly tipped in my favor, even with Parkinson's. I think
1: it's what Lisa just mentioned, the gratitude that you exude when you talk about that. And I think you should be commended on it. Yes. And there are those in every lot in life that are suffering extensive degrees, to all degrees. But I think the way that you accept your challenges and just what you said before about, and for those of you that have joined us, um, you know, Tim was born to a single mom in the 20s to a biracial couple that was not accepted back then. And really the way you look at that and how you you know, many might say my mother gave me oh you know, I don't know what their view may be, but your very positive, grateful way of looking at your mother and just from the start, from round zero, saying what she persevered and how strong she was and the decisions she made and she set you on the right path. I think your view on life is not just accepting limitations but being grateful for everything that you've done and seeing it in sort of a cut, full way. And I just, I think I, my takeaway from that today even is exactly that way I should be looking at things. And yes, it's hard sometimes and it's harder for some sometimes, but just that lesson alone, starting from day one, you look at this as what people have, you kept saying what they've um, done for me.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, I blame my adopted mother for that attitude. Because <laughs> I'll never forget her as a kid. It's all her fault. It truly is. Uh, but she would tell us. She would tell the six of us. And we, would, we would ask lots of questions, of course, about where we came from and why did our moms and dads give us up for adoption? Why didn't they keep us? And mom always said, look, I don't know. Nobody knows. But understand that the best we can do is assume... They did the best that they could for you. Yeah. They gave you a life. They put you in a place to be adopted. And now we're a family. So let's just assume that they did the absolute best they knew to do or could do for you. And in the end, it turned out okay. Wow. I love, I love that memory. I absolutely yeah. love that memory. And I'm grateful for you for sharing you that. Yeah. I, I so appreciate the tact that my parents took with them. It's so, for me, it just, it, it gave me the foundation that everything was okay. No matter what it was, it was all okay.
1: Yeah. Tim, on that note, I can't believe our time is up. I am so sad, but I don't think there's a better way to end <laughs> Any interview um, again, Tim. This has been amazing. Uh, where can everyone get this book? Because immediately we all have to go out and get it. Perseverance: The Seven Skills You Need to Survive, Thrive, and Accomplish More Than You Ever Imagined. What is the best way to get it, and the best way to follow you when you're speaking and your prior engagements?
2: Sure, sir. my website is probably the easiest, and that is Tim Senior. Because there's a Tim Senior and a Tim (laughs) Junior. Tim Senior, Tim S-R, T-I-N-S-R, dot C A. Tim Senior dot C A. And there's um, the book is is available in audio form on Audible. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Indigo, and it's everywhere. But if the easiest place to go would be to my website, TimSenior dot C A, and you'll find it there. Thank you so much for having me share my story, Kathleen. Oh, it's a pleasure.
1: It's it's been an honor, and I'm so great. I'm telling you, I'm like taking notes while you're speaking. I've learned so much. My kids need to hear this. My mother needs to. Like everybody needs to hear, right? And, Lisa, I thank you too for sharing your story about your dad. And just it really, your 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 race transcends all struggles, and that's I think what is so important. And your message and your lessons transcend whatever it is. We have a commonality that we all struggle something. We all go through something. We hit an obstacle. We hit a challenge, and what? How are we going to handle that? How are we going to handle that race? And I just thank you for the guidance and your honesty and the lessons that you've given us. It's been a pleasure, and everyone, I will. uh, That's it for tonight. But I'll see you next week. Good night, everyone.
2: If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVET's members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVET's posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVET's by joining today.